Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am um, thrilled uh, to actually talk to the organizer of one of the TEDx's that many TEDx organizers want to go to, and that's TEDx Mid-Atlantic and David Troy. David, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing all right. It's great to be here, Mark. Did you know that, uh, I know you listen to the show, so at the end of the show, I say, if we could take that red circle and make it into a magic carpet, where would you want to go? That I've had more than five people say they want to go to TEDx Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, I've heard that from a few TEDx organizers, and it's it's really, you know, quite a, an honor to be recognized in that way. I think, you know, we've, we've been at it a long time, so I think, you know, uh, the brand has sort of gotten out there, but... Uh, you know, it's exciting to, to put together something that other people are interested in. Have you been the sole organizer since 2009? Uh, I have been the, the main licensee um, and uh, organized the event with Nate Mook as well, who um, came on in the first year as well. So we're kind of the co-organizers of the event. And uh, he and I both have been, um, you know, very much at the helm all, the, all these years. How do you um, divide the labor in that regard? Um, so we've always, I've kind of joked that we've organized the event kind of, you know, we're sort of like a terrorist cell in some ways, you know, <laughs> we, we are very hard to, to, to squish, you know, because we have kind of, uh, permeable, permeable borders, people come, people go, um, and it's all kind of a, built around this idea of like, you know, if you show up and you contribute to the organizational, you know, process, then, you know, you're part of the team. If you don't contribute so much, then, oh, well, you know, we don't hold any, you know, grudge against you or whatever, but it ends up being a pretty fluid process. And so Nate and I, you know, realistically are the ones that have done most of the work, but there's been, you know, certain years where like I have to, do, you know, step in and do more or Nate has to step in and do more. We have other people that are able to do different things on the team and they end up taking things on. And, you know, our overall goal over the period, over all these years is to build capacity, you know, to be able to kind of distribute the load across as many people as possible without getting too locked into like organizational politics and, nonprofit drama and all that kind of stuff. We're just interested right. in getting the work done. So Nate and I, um, we both do some curation work. Um, I do some marketing work. Um, Nate does some different marketing work. Um, we both do speaker coaching and, you know, contacting speakers. Um, and we also both deal with venues and things like that. And, and then, you know, there's a bunch of people on the team that do other things as well. How big's the team? Well, that's kind of a funny story that, um, you know, we basically have so many people coming to us during the year, and I think this is common to most TEDx events, um, who say, like, you know, I want to help in some way. And, you know, you're sort of like, okay, well, you know, please join in. You know, like, so we, we basically, at this point, have everybody join a common Slack team um, and just kind of communicate with people there. And right now there's about 250 or 275, something like that. What? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. But that's people that we've kind of accumulated over the years um, who are, you know, just interested in being in the loop. And so it's it's this really large kind of team. And as I say, you never really know in any given year who's going to contribute, like, the most energy and input to it. Right. So I would say, you know, just speaking kind of as a math guy, you know, like <laughs> – it's a power law, you know, like if you have 275 people that, you know, consider probably 20% of those people are actually going to contribute something really material. Um, and, um, so that ends up being around 50 people. And then if you sort of say, okay, well of those there's probably going to be half that, you know, probably contribute most of it, that ends up being around 20 something people. And that, that feels about right. You know, it, it also, you know, as we get closer to the event, there's more stuff to do. And sure. so people get a little bit more engaged and activated, but, um, 
but that's kind of how it works. And I, you know, I don't really know another way to do it and still accommodate all the people that want to contribute in some way. Do you have captains or directors or team leads? Um, yeah, we do for different things. Um, so we have one guy that kind of handles the, um, production and stage management and lighting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then somebody else who's handling, um, like managing the on-site volunteers and dealing with catering and stuff like that. So that's a little bit fluid from year to year and that we don't really know necessarily, you know, who's going to be the mm. best person to be in charge of each of those aspects. But you, you know, usually it's the same people from year to year. Um, with a little bit of extra help, or maybe we try to train somebody and bring them in new into some particular role. But each year we try to add a little bit more in terms of just the capacity and having people that are sort of like plugged into some key aspect of the event. How many attendees? So it ends up being um, about 1,200 distributed across uh, two days. Uh, And that's been pretty constant over the last few years, somewhere between, you know, like 1,100 and 1,200. Um, our venue actually holds 800. Um, so, you know, it's obviously not 1200 people all at the same time. Right. Um, but we have people that are there for one day and not the next. And because it's DC, people are really busy. So they might come by for the morning and not the evening. Mm. So we have to overbook pretty substantially just to kind of like make sure that the theater's full. And has it been the same venue all along or did you grow up to this 1200? Um, actually, um, we did our first event uh, in Baltimore at about a 550 person venue, which was great. It was, you know, it's really convenient to me because it's literally down the street from my house. Oh, nice. Um, but uh, we wanted to, our, our initial concept was to kind of alternate back and forth between DC and Baltimore. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that just there aren't a lot of great venues um, in DC and Baltimore. And so while we have considered you know, going into larger venues or different venues. Right. Um, it just, it's, it's really just not that practical. And the venue that we have, we really have a good relationship with, and it's a beautiful theater with a decent lobby. And, yeah. um, it's, you know, named Sydney Harmon hall. And so that's the Harmon behind like Harmon Carden. So the acoustics oh, in there are just I insane. Bet. And it's a really, you know, what I like about that theater, I, I almost kind of tell people in the TEDx community that it's one of our little secret hacks because, that stage is a Shakespearean theater stage. And when you walk out on it, the room demands of you, you know, a real performance Mm. and, uh, you know, it, it, it brings out the best in people. So I think that's a, something that every, every TEDx organizer can look at is like, in what way does the design of your venue actually contribute to creating a great performance and getting people to deliver something that, you know, uh, is their best work. I I believe that as the organizers, that's truly our job is to conspire to have all of the elements come together so that when that person steps into the red circle, it's the very best. They're going to be the best. The situation is best. The audience is primed. They want you to be fantastic and you step up and do it. Yeah, exactly. I'm reminded of uh, TEDx Oshkosh. He told me that their stage the the appeal when they talk to the speakers is that mark twain spoke from that stage and they love <laughs> that's that, right right that's good that's a good way to subtly put a little bit of pressure on him yeah. <laughs> and again i don't think we're trying to like you know freak him out or, or you know sort of spook him in any way but i think it is important to give people the expectation that they you know they're, they're gonna want to do good work on yeah. that stage and, yeah. and you want to try to prepare them for that so we call it high stakes short form communication yeah, right. that's good. I like that. I yeah. like that. So what was your um what was your first taste of Ted back in the day? Uh so I first started kind of just listening to Ted Talks on my iPod back in like 2007 or so. Yep. Um and some friends of mine were like, "Oh yeah, you know, there's these Ted Talks and there's this conference and you can watch the talks online." And at the time there wasn't a ton of content available for like the iPod and I was traveling a lot back and forth to like Europe and Asia and stuff. So I was always looking for content to like Mm. load onto my iPod to like listen to whether it's podcasts or, you know, videos or whatever. So that kind of got into my orbit and I started listening to them and I was like, Oh, these are really cool. You know, like really interesting topics and always learn something new. And, um, so I didn't really think a whole lot else about it, but then I was in 2009 um, traveling in China with a group called Geeks on a Plane. 
which is basically uh, some venture capital type people as well as entrepreneurs and you know different investors and stuff. From it was sponsored by 500 Startups, which is a VC firm sure. in Silicon Valley, yep. which yep. I've invested in. And uh, so this was actually the first one of these trips that they had done, and it was to Asia. So we went to Tokyo, Beijing, Shanghai. Um, I think that was it on that trip. But anyway, uh, TEDx Shanghai organized a special TEDx event, TEDx Shanghai event, specifically for that uh, Geeks on a Plane. And oh. it was in May of 2009, maybe June, um, but yeah, probably late May 2009. So that was within the first, you know, like four months or so of the existence of the TEDx program. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it was a little bit fuzzy. The rules weren't totally clear. The, you know, the plan wasn't totally clear. Um, but it's, it immediately struck a chord with me because yeah, sure. I was looking at that going like, wow, this is something that we could do in our market back home. And I immediately had the idea to do like TEDx Mid-Atlantic as something that could kind of bridge this region and connect mm -hmm. DC and Baltimore and do something you know, frankly, I thought, you know, what they did in Shanghai was a little bit ad hoc. And I was kind of like, oh, we could do better than that. And, you know, not putting down that effort at all. I'm just saying, like, it, it gave me an idea that, like, it would be not too hard to do something that was all that and more. And um, so uh, I immediately, after I got home from China, uh, went and registered the um, TEDx Mid-Atlantic license. And I contacted Laura Stein at the time and, you know, learned more about the program. Right. And she was like, well, you know, listen, if you want to do an event that's bigger than 100 people, you need to go to TED. So why don't you come to TED Global in Oxford, which is like in two weeks? Oh, um, no. So I registered for TED Global. They gave me a discounted rate. It was great. I went and I, my mind was just blown. You right. Know, of like course. I met, you know, everybody has that yeah. kind of experience of yeah. like first time at TED. It just yeah. kind of. Yeah, the, the, I think the thing that was most overwhelming for me was the sense that I had found, like other members of my tribe. You found your people, um, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, I had always found a few of my people in different places, but I was always sort of finding them one at a time and under a rock and here and there. At this, in this venue, it was everybody all at once, you know, and it it, it creates that incredible TED rush that you get, you know, yeah. and so. Um, uh, you know, that, that definitely was kind of a galvanizing moment for me. And of course, everything I learned from that event then went into how we designed and curated the very first event that we did. And, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's kind of been off to the races since then. And we, you know, I don't know that we've altered our overall process or thought pattern all that much over time. I think, you know, we've learned stuff and come up with a lot of practical skills and, and certainly gotten better at the craft of it. But, uh, you know, the basic ethos of it and the basic idea of it and the design of the, you know, just look and feel and everything of it has been pretty much the same all along. So it's it's been a really holistic process for me. And, and I think Nate as well, you know, we both have just really gotten a lot of value personally out of being a part of this. And I think, you know, that's kind of why we keep coming back every once right, in a while, I right. think. We TEDx organizers <laughs> what, what need to kind of look in the yeah look in the mirror and say what is this all about exactly? And, we need a recovery uh, program or something. Yeah, and be like, why am I doing this again? But then you kind of you know go through the list, and it turns out that well, actually, this is adding a lot of value to my life in a lot yeah. of different really subtle ways. And um, so you know, I think my feeling is I'll keep doing it until it stops being fun uh, and or valuable, and uh, haven't hit that point yet. So we um, we. We did 2010, 2011, and 2012, and then took a year off. And we were yeah, we Ted. took 2014 off as well. And I went to Vancouver, and everybody wants to know about your event. And I says, "Oh well, you know, we've retired. What? You can't right. retire." And it's like, right, oh. right. and I, it, you know, you go back. You can't, you can't go away from it. I'm curious. Um, you've been doing it for a while now, and and you've been to other TEDx events. What would you say your vibe is there? Um, at Mid Atlantic, is there a something that makes you guys different, or that you you have a point of view that you try to express, whether that's nuanced or subtle, and no one ever knows it, but you and Nate know about it? Um, I don't. Yeah, I mean, there's a distinct vibe and sort of a culture of it that I think um, is definitely there. I don't know that we've ever taken a lot of time to really articulate it. Um, maybe the closest that. I came to sort of expressing that ethos was we did an organizing meeting mostly for curation related topics a few weeks ago. And at the beginning of that meeting, I reviewed a quote 
by um, that was used by Ray and Charles Eames in the beginning as a, as a forward to a report that they had submitted to the Indian government in like 1950 something about they were making recommendations for like what India should be doing to like promote business and cool things in India. And the quote was startling to me. It was something I came across at an exhibit of Ray and Charles Eames' work in Lisbon, actually. And it turned out it was actually curated by Eames Demetrios, who, of course, is a longtime uh, Tedster and friend of mine and whatnot. So anyway, this quote was uh, something along the lines of, you do not have any right to the fruits of the work. Your only right is to the work itself. And, you know, if you do that work and whatnot, it will be fulfilling. And as long as you're, you're willing to kind of do that work for the work itself, you know, that is the right reason to do anything. And so I shared that quote. And again, I butchered it just now, but you can look it up. Um, and, uh, you know, it really kind of speaks to kind of why we do this. You know, it isn't mm-hmm. to get rich. Mm-hmm. It isn't mm-hmm. to, you know, somehow or another be a mover and shaker and get to meet, you know, all the right people, although that may happen sometimes right, as an incidental right. byproduct. It is to do good work. It is to share good ideas. It is to meet good people. It is to find those people who are motivated by, you know, brilliance and by, you know, a, a correct answer and by an idea that can actually create change. And so, you know, we, we really try to convey that in everything that we do and that, you know, we're not going to take shortcuts just because, you know, something might be, you know, easy to do or, you know, it's it's some some personal pet thing of somebody on the team. We really try to guard that ethos and only do stuff that, um, you know, is is proper for the, the, the work itself and for the, the desired outcome. So anyway, that really speaks to me. No, I, 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 I love that. I, actually, I love the working with the team part. We've, um, we took on a partner, a co-working space in town, and that's become our clubhouse and having a cool. place to go there and meet with the team. I, I, and I just filled my last slot. I rebooted my whole team this year as a result of doing this show. I, uh, just, I, you know, you can't not talk to 35 organizers and get a bunch of good ideas and want to implement. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. uh, so, so I love that. Um, I have a question about, so you've been doing this since 2009 and, one of the things we talk about is ideas worth spreading, but it's also ideas worth doing. And I extract that to say, where's the impact of the ideas? Right. I'm curious. Do you have a speaker that you, that a name comes to mind who f- from the red circle, they went on to something like their idea or they went someplace that was unexpected directly as a result of doing <laughs> the TED? Well, I'll give you one that's ripped from today's headlines, actually. Um, Kate Wagner um, is a blogger based here in Baltimore. She's 23 years old, and she has a very popular blog called McMansion Hell. And it is basically a satirical slash educational send-up of you know the McMansion architectural style. Sure. And um, it's gotten a lot of popularity. But we had her speak at our event last fall, and um, you know that contributed to her getting more you know, press coverage and guest radio appearances and everything else. And she's kind of turned into this internet sensation. Well, yesterday, uh, she got a cease and desist letter from Zillow saying that, you know, she had to basically take her site down and they were going to sue her for using images, uh, from their site when they were clearly fair use and whatnot. So, um, I can't say everything I know about this right now, but the bottom line is that, uh, she has received, um, offers for legal counsel pro bono legal counsel that are going to enable her to fight this which you know it's it's a fundamentally kind of a frivolous lawsuit on the part of zillow and um you know actually people were showing up at zillow's headquarters in san francisco's san francisco or sorry seattle this morning um putting signs on their outside their windows that said mcmansion hell forever you know so like Wow. You know, every once in a while you kind of contribute something to the national dialogue. And I, you know, certainly it's that's her work. I mean, it's not like we did it, but giving her that platform and allowing her to kind of accelerate um what she does into a broader arena um you know, is cool to see and to be able to kind of be one of the first people to kind of help 
birth something like that to life is cool. And, you know, that's just one example. But, you know, other examples include uh, Sam Burns, uh, who is a uh, young man who's actually uh, passed away now. But he suffered from a rare disease called progeria, which basically causes advanced aging. And there was an HBO documentary done about him. But, um, you know, his talk, which he filmed at TEDx Mid-Atlantic about four months before he passed away, um, was a wonderful, you know, kind of, it's called My Philosophy for a Happy Life. And, um, you know, that has, I think, something like 25 or 28 million views. Um, and to, you know, to think that, you know, something like that, you know, you've, you've enabled someone to leave a lasting legacy mm-hmm. that has gone on to really touch a lot of other people. And of course his parents have actually been really active and, um, uh, sort of identifying the, the gene, the genetic defi- you know, problem that's associated with progeria. So, you know, to help amplify somebody like that, who, you know, has a really, you know, unusual condition, but that, you know, their situation can help people in the future, you know, that's really fulfilling. And, right, and just, right. I, can't, I can think of probably a few other examples where there's been just, you know, something that, you know, is kind of a seed when mm, it's on our mm, stage, but then mm. grows on to, to become this giant oak out in the world. And it's, it's very fulfilling to see that. I, um, I, we have a, we had a 16 year old who opened our show last year, who is now, as a result of that, giving a four-country tour this summer. She's just a high schooler, and she was invited by this international NGO to go talk about bullying and um, living with deformity. And wow. she's, you know, in India and Asia, Southeast Asia, and it's just like, oh, my, she's blowing up, you know, book yeah. deals and all that stuff. And and. You know, you, you want to see the person do well. You want to see the idea take fruit as well. So I liked what you said. A seed on our stage turns into an oak. I love that. I'm always listening on the show for, for nice little quotables that I can put out there. Sure. Um, your, so your October show is, um, themed superpowers. Right. And on my show, I like to talk about superpowers because I think of all the, organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, partnering, the things we talked about earlier, which, you know, if you, if you only get to do one of those, which one's the one that you get the most satisfaction from? Uh, For me, it's about kind of coming up with the overall theme and like the core of the curation. Um, You know, and I usually will contribute um, maybe like, 30 to 35% of the speakers, uh, you know, for, for each event. Uh, and then sometimes that's more or less depending on how busy I am that year and whatnot. But the way that I kind of run that process is I just keep kind of a, um, an open notes file of just yep. like cool stuff that I see. And every time yep. I see something that would make a good fit, I throw it in there and kind of make a mental note of it and wait, think about it and kind of go, well, you know, is this really the, the best fit for this program or what have you? And then, you know, reach out to people kind of continuously really throughout the year, depending on, you know, kind of where we are in the event cycle. But, um, yeah, you know, like uh, to me, like sort of creating, a, it's almost like putting together like a music album or something where, mm. you know, you want to sort oh, a of concept um, album. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like that. Like, how do you want it to feel? What kind of thing do you want yep. people to take yep. away? Yeah. And so yep. it's kind of like getting to put out a concept album each you know, year. And, um, so like the event that we did last fall was called new rules and yep. it was kind of in response to the idea that like clearly something had flipped in like the global psyche in terms of how people were perceiving politics and you know you had brexit going on and trump and everything else and you know the election hadn't yet happened so we were very much sort of of the mind of like ooh, this is scary you know this will be kind of a warning that things could get weird if we don't pay attention but you know we're still sort of of the mind that like the world would stay on its axis even then and uh you know the events went differently. Um, you know, things we have a very complicated situation to deal with now. And it, in many ways is very unsettling. So, um, we felt as though, you know, for this year, we wanted to do something that was more of like a, you know, a response to that, this idea that like everybody, all of us have individual capabilities Mm -hmm. and talents and Mm -hmm. powers that we can bring 
you know, sort of regardless of what's going on politically. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, left-leaning or right-leaning. I mean, a lot of what's broken in politics right now isn't whether the left or the right is winning. It's more like we have some really broken systems and some failed institutions and tensions between globalism and, and nationalism and things like that. So we just kind of want to put all of that aside, as, as interesting as those topics are, and talk more about, you know, what can people do anyway in the face of a challenging time? And, um, you know, so that's kind of what the thrust of this is. And, of course, the idea of superpowers also, we can play on this geopolitical concept yeah, as well course. and kind of play off of U.S., China, Russia, um, you know, and, and get into some of those geopolitical tensions as well. But we didn't want to get it, you know, mired up in politics and we didn't want to make it um, – you know, uh, too much of a downer either. It's really easy to pick a hundred different things to be depressed about right, right now. Right. Um, but, uh, so you know, we wanted to make it very upbeat. From from a, a piece of advice for either first-timers or veterans, because not everybody does a theme. I think it's it, – because it's not, it's not a required thing to sure. do. But um, I think a lot of us, maybe the majority, do come up with a theme and then kind of work into that theme – is your process to um, come up with the theme and then figure out how the speakers fit to that? Or is it, I've got some speakers, is there a, th a common thread that's speaking out to me here? Or do you marry the two at all? It, it's kind of a chicken and egg process kind right, of at I the know. start. And then, you know, you first kind of go, well, we really should have so-and-so. They'd be amazing. And then you kind of go, well, there's maybe two or three others that are like that. And so those first few little germs of an idea sort of suggest to you what you might be aiming at. And then to me, it's about sort of trying to like put a frame around the zeitgeist. And I think sometimes, you know, it's, you can do a great job of that or you can do a not so great job of that. And I'm not even sure it matters all that right, much, right, you know, right, like right. I think it's just more of a framing construct for like, you know, how you're going to kind of create the feel of the event. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't have a huge budget to like get all crazy with, you know, really custom graphics and all kinds of stuff. We do spend a little bit on that stuff, but it's, we, it's pretty basic. Um, but we want it to have some point, you know, we want to give people some sense that like there was something that we were trying to communicate and that they came away feeling that. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's about kind of just putting your finger on like a feeling more than anything else. And then, you know, you're going to have people that, really really speak well to that theme and then you're going to have other people that are maybe just unrelated but it's like right, they're just right. awesome and it's topical and you know you're just going to have them anyway so um i think that's all fine and i think you know that's very much in line with kind of how ted does things too you know right, you, right. even within individual sessions not every talk is going to be a great fit for the theme but um you know you can kind of get close enough and i think give people just a little bit of a framing hint for like how you're thinking about it even if they think about it in a different way you know you're yeah. at least giving them some sense of what your yeah. thought process was I, I know when i'm working with other organizers i'm you know I, I talk about this narrative arc that's across the whole day or in your case two right. days but i'm also thinking of that narrative arc within a given session and how right. are we doing that how are we beginning middle and end and how do you want people to feel exactly but, that's it, my thing is how do they want how do you want them to feel after right. each talk you know? right and and but also not losing sight of the fact that you're going to upload these to YouTube and no one's ever going to watch them in sequence again. So your right, concept exactly. album is a bunch of, of greatest hits and singles, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's something that's always kind of like irritated me a little bit about just sort of the reality of TED in that I love going to TED and to TEDx events and experiencing those arcs the way that yeah, they yeah. were designed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause even if it's not perfect, you know, you, you really can get a very effective emotional catharsis yep. from yep. a really good session or yep. a really good event. And to me, that's kind of the joy of it. Um, and so I don't watch a lot of videos actually online. I used to watch them much more than I do now. My preferred mode of consumption is to go to the events. Go. And, right. um, yeah, right. you know, and if I can go to a TEDx event or a TED event, I will do that much more readily. And of course the advantage of going to like TED is that, you know, if you've seen all the talks, then you don't have to watch them online right. later. You've seen right. them already. Right. I so. call, I, I explain to people who've not ever seen a live talk before. Uh, right. You know, just I, how I, different that experience is. Exactly. You know? I call it free range Ted, right? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. What's been the biggest surprise over all these years for you? 
Hmm, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I've been like too shocked. I suppose that <laughs> yeah, every year I learn a little something that's kind of like you know, hmm, all right, that works a little bit differently than I had thought it might. Um, I think, you know, maybe the thing that's the most surprising overall is just you know how open this community really is and how how much we all really kind of lean on each other in various different ways um and i i guess i wouldn't necessarily have expected that going in um and and i don't just mean like tedxers i mean everybody in the ted community is like pretty open to like connecting Mm -hmm. and i think you know that ethos of kind of being peers and, you know, getting to talk to really accomplished people, you know, some of whom are famous or whatever, but to be able to do that more or less in the context of being a peer by virtue of, you know, being in this shared context has been to me, you know, really, really important and, um, and maybe something I wouldn't have expected kind of going into it. But it's really shaped my life. And um, just this weekend, I was at a wedding um, where uh, a friend of ours was getting married, a friend of Nate and mine, and Nate was actually one of the groomsmen. And then we had, you know, as a result of some of our relationships, you know, the, or- the previous organizer of TEDx Baltimore was there. And then it turned out that John Werner from TEDx Beacon Street happened huh. to be in town for huh. a lacrosse tournament with his son. So I told John, like, hey, John, you're like five minutes away. Drive over here. Come to this wedding. So it was me, John, Nate, TEDx Baltimore guy, Sarge, um, and a couple of other sort of loosely TEDx related people all at this wedding. And it was awesome. We all got to talk and hang yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, Rami was there too from TEDx Waterloo. Um, no kidding. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you wouldn't expect this to like contribute to your like long term friend networking quite that way, but it very much has. I, I, I would agree with you. I, w- I wanted to tell you a little story when you said uh, this community appears and how you get to work with um, such amazing people. You come into contact with them. We, um, in 2003, Chris had bought Ted and my wife and I created a software for Ted, which is now what Ted Connect has evolved into. But it was that, gotcha. that idea of connecting people. And we had originally thought that there was this, um, uh, class between the speakers and the attendees. Mm-hmm. And Chris was like, no, no, no someone is sitting next to you, then they're going to get up on the stage and talk, and then they're going to come back and be in the audience. We're all testers. Right. That's theirs. Mm-hmm. We're all that. And that, that was a, that has always stuck with me that there's no difference between them. And I've found that the events having the speakers there and having them understand that ethos, cause they may not that yeah. ha- having them say, no, we're going to have a little red circle over there for you afterwards and have people come up. Yeah. And you can go to around. the VIP lounge where nobody cool is allowed. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I think having that kind of cast system is not helpful in conferences. Right. And I, and I find myself resenting situations where that isn't in fact how it's done. And I think it was a really brilliant design move on Chris's part to really make everybody an equal peer in yeah. that environment. Yeah. And, you know, let's get real, you know, certainly they have more, uh, you know, they do have specific speaker only events and, you know, try to foster networking even within that community. But it's not like everybody's cordoned off. And it's not, I think most importantly, there's an expectation that everybody is part of that core community. And nobody treats you like a jerk either. You know, it's like if you have something interesting to converse with a speaker about, you walk up to them and talk to them. And they're nice to you most of the time, you know, and that's to me, like a really just cool feature of, of the overall uh, community. That's also, uh, I, I would talk to our listener right now who maybe has got a hundred person event and they're thinking about, should I go to a qualifying event or not? And going to something like global or a summit or Ted fest or some, uh, a sanctioned Ted event where you get to be, as you said in the very beginning, you found your tribe when you're around yeah. those people make such a huge impact on you. And it's, it's pretty life changing. However, with all this goodness, there's always challenges. No good story is without its drama. What, what challenge oh, sure. do you guys have on an ongoing basis or one that dragon that just keeps rearing its head? Well, I think, you know, money is always a good one to talk about Uh, (laughs) just because, you know, it's, it's a constant kind of process to like, you know, gather up the money that we need. And of course, dealing with changes in venues and stuff like that. So we, 
have done, you know, like a uh, Friday night party. We do like a Friday Saturday event and do like a Friday night party. Right. And dealing with the caterers and the different constraints that exist there and who's, you know, like different companies come and go and you got to deal with the politics of that. It's always, you know, a little bit of drama and it's always a little bit of drama as to whether we're going to get all the money that we need and what, what, what things we have to sacrifice because we don't have enough or we're not sure if we're going to have enough. And when we, one of the things, one of the challenges that we have in DC is that nobody will commit to doing anything <laughs> till kind of the last minute. So, um, we actually this year put our tickets on sale earlier than ever before. So as to just give people time to buy tickets and commit to early bird and stuff like that. But the, the way I phrase it in DC, it's like, People don't buy tickets to events; they buy options to attend events. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then they might double book themselves. You know, right, and they, right. they might may or may not go to any given thing. So, so knowing that, do you oversell? You said earlier you yeah. overbook. So yeah, you we overbook do oversell by a that. healthy percentage. Yeah, and it's just because people just literally like, oh, well, I can make it for the morning, but I can't make it for the afternoon, or vice versa, or what have you. Or, you know, people's plans change or whatever. So it, it, you really have to kind of overbook. And because we're doing a two-day event, it's not cheap. So the tickets are between like 129 and 179 sometimes as high as 199 depending on what we're doing. Um, and uh, so it's a, it's a significant monetary commitment for people. And, um, uh, you know, it's just getting people to commit ahead of time is tough. So there's always a bit of drama of like, are we going to? sell enough tickets and you know and we always end up selling tons of tickets right at the last minute but it's absolutely nerve-wracking for us as organizers because you don't really know what your budget's going to be until like the day of the event, right you know so. so so what's your reaction when we you learn as we did last week that <coughs> tedx kansas city sold out three thousand seats in four minutes well that in my mind has always been a question of price i don't know what price point they is do you re remember what their price point was i've not i've just i'm, I'm going to have him on the show here in a few weeks so i don't know what the price was yeah i mean you know if they've found a way to do free tickets then that is definitely doable we did a salon event um with you know a probably slightly larger number of attendees than we were supposed to but um we that was a similar thing we put those on sale it was free and it was within like five minutes or something it was sold out instantly so i think it's really just a question of, you know, the price point and, you know, whether people are willing to commit or, you know, how early people are willing to commit. Like right now we're selling at events. It's four months away from the event. So, right. you know, maybe difficult to, but I also think that there's different communities where like, you know, the hunger for this kind of stuff is um, really, really, you know, tremendous. And so yeah, like I hear about, you know, like in South America, you know, in Buenos Aires or in Sao Paulo um, where, you know, they're, they're, running these things in stadiums and ten ten thousand people it's insane you know and like i <laughs> i applaud that and i think it's actually amazing and i think it's it's cool i actually spoke at a tedx event in istanbul and um it was a crazy experience because they had put it into a pretty good sized theater in a, in a convention center in istanbul and right before the session that i was in was supposed to start they had to basically shut the event down and relocate it to a larger event inside the same convention, or larger venue inside the same oh convention center, because there were people banging at the door demanding to get in. Oh my in Turkey, gosh. you know. Oh my god! So it was crazy. Ozge, who runs that event, you know, was just an absolute soldier, and they managed to get all their stage signage and all their AV relocated to this <laughs> larger theater, which was like three times the size. And uh, you know, they had this mad rush of people because I, I think that there was just. Like they didn't know how many people were going to try to show up and right. it was, you know, so it was large. And I think that seeing that hunger for this kind of an event wow. and this kind of information around the world is very heartening in a way, especially right now when there's so much that's not right in the world. So I want to go back to just this thing in Istanbul. You said you spoke at TEDx in Istanbul and people have asked me, they know I'm like the local Tedster in Santa Barbara having, you know, been going for 20 years and they're like, why haven't you done a Ted talk? Right. It's like, right. well, I'm an organizer and we're not, you know, we don't do talks yet. Yeah. You don't do talks at your own event for sure. Yeah. So when you go, what was your talk on in Istanbul? Well, so, my experience with this um, was that I attended TED Global in 2014 in Rio, and they, of course, do the TEDU session there where, you know, you basically yep. have yep. attendees yep. speak on what they want. So yep. 
I put in a little proposal and said, look, you know, I've been doing this interesting work on mapping networks and, you know, social, social network data. And it's pretty interesting and I'd be happy to share it. And so they were like, Hey, that sounds cool. Why don't you do the talk? So I did the talk and it was a, a pretty short six minute talk that I did at Ted global in Rio. And, um, they ended up putting it online on Ted.com and it ended up getting, I don't know, it's probably got like a million something million, three something views, um, and it ended up getting me a huge amount of, you know, inbound inquiries about this topic from all around the world. And, um, so I ended up doing a lot of public speaking in 2015 as a result of doing that one talk in, in 2014. And, um, I spent maybe 50% of my time on the road in 2015. Um, and then uh, I traveled a decent amount last year as well. And I'm doing a little bit this year, but not quite as much, but, um, basically about that topic of, you know, how we, how can we use data from social networks to understand places mm-hmm. and communities mm-hmm. and, how, you know, what, what is the interface between like social network data and urban planning and that kind of stuff. So, and that has led, led me to get involved in some of these topics around sort of the intersection between social network data and politics, and fake news and propaganda and all this. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it kind of launched my career as I mean I had spoken a decent amount of, on different things over the years but nothing on a global level and this really kind of propelled me into a kind of being able to do, to you know be passable as like a global speaker and it's it's been great because it's given me a lot of stage experience and a lot of practice uh you know kind of hitting different topics from different angles and uh I I think in 2015 I went to 18 countries so I, I'm actually I'm going to speak at um TEDx Arendal in Norway. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, uh, I guess that's going to be in early September. And then I spoke at um, TEDx Oxford at Oxford University in February, which was great. So that brings up another question. And, and I'm curious about this. Do you have a, um, an unwritten rule about if someone's already given a TED talk that you don't have them on your stage? Or how do you do that? How do you? Well, the short answer to that is no, we don't have a rule like that because I think in general, like, um, you know, you, it depends on who it is and it depends on what the talk is about. We, we have had several people come back to our own event to like give updates on stuff that yep. they've done. And so like, as an example of that, we're going to have Susan Shaw, um, who may be like the most frequently returning. She's like the Alec Baldwin of TEDx Mid Atlantic. She's been several times at our events, and she's amazing. She's this incredible environmental uh, activist and scientist. Um, and uh, we're also going to have an update from Jackie Sabbats, who also is she's with Oceana. She's like the head of Oceana, and um, she's going to be talking some about ocean issues. But um, no, I mean we don't we don't restrict it just on grounds that like, well, you know, if you have somebody great and they want to talk about something relevant. They should be given full license to that. But that said, we don't necessarily seek out people that are, you know, like veterans. We really aim very much to try to get new voices, right? Um, right. And people that you know nobody's heard of. People like Kate Wagner with the McMansion Fog. You yeah. Know, no one heard. Came out of left field, you know. And um, so, you know, I think, and that's kind of our, our special responsibility as TEDxers almost is to locate those people that nobody knows about and, and elevate them to a higher level. In, in the case of, and I completely, that uh, the unheard or underrepresented voices, I, I get that part. But in the case of you specifically, you have a talk and you've done, you know, obviously more than one TEDx. Do you do the same talk or do you look at this idea from different lenses or as you're, as you're evolving in your understanding, because like six minutes last launched a career for you, right? That six minute. Talk. Well, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the trick now is to figure out how to like turn this into something that's more, you know, pays better than <laughs> what I'm doing right now, which is mostly if you buy me a plane ticket and want me to talk about data and stuff, I'll fly to your event and go do it. Um, but uh, no, the, the basic deal that I'm doing is um, I will talk about data specific to your community. So that means that it's kind of evergreen, no matter where I go, I've got fresh stuff that I can talk about. Um, And also, like, you know, to the extent that some of it is topical and, you know, different lengths and stuff, too. You know, like, I might have 18 minutes someplace and 10 minutes somewhere else. And so it ends up being a different kind of experience each time. And, of course, I try to make it fresh, too, and bring fresh insights and new ideas and whatever's on my mind, you know, I kind of bake into the talk. 
and it's a way for me to also kind of work through ideas that I'm mm-hmm. incubating and, and mm-hmm. share those with others and get feedback and, you know, meet people. I, I do it to meet people who are interested in this topic because I think, you know, ultimately it's going to be a, tri- a small tribe of us that understands this topic that's going to be able to make some change in the world based on it. So that motivates me as well. That's a, a separate conversation you and I are going to have because I, um, through my intro networks effort, have been deeply focused on that, mostly on internal communities, uh, mm-hmm. but communities of practice. Like I run NASA's uh, professional development network for STEM educators, oh, cool. you know, awesome. so, and, and, uh, we had one of the community managers turned the data into her PhD thesis, understanding awesome. the data. So, um, we could probably talk for days about that. I but, imagine. Yeah. Um, so in October, your next event, what are you looking forward to the most? Uh, well, I mean, I think right now we have about 10 or so speakers that are confirmed. Um, I think I'm most excited about the other 20-something that we haven't confirmed yet um, and that we don't really know who they're going to be. I think that there's – there's, I think this theme has really animated people's an, uh, imaginations, and um, it, it seems to really be attractive to people. So I'm excited about kind of the energy that that is going to bring to it, and I think that it will end up being um, a really high energy and fun event. And, um, you know, I think, I don't know, like, I just have a lot of faith in the process that, you know, Mm -hmm. when you kind of uh, play, when you do this properly and kind of take the right steps, it it always yields a great result. Right, um, right. So, you know, I always have a blast and, and I'm sure I will this time as well. Some, something fun will happen. Uh, Definitely, so, yeah. so you've been to, you've been to TEDx's all over the world and, and, uh, I'm sure some of my listeners who were thinking about that wedding you were at last weekend are like, Oh my God, Beacon Street and you and Waterloo all in the same room. Oh my <laughs> and God. And Baltimore too. In yeah, Baltimore. Exactly. Couldn't I just buy those? Uh, we, we have a guy here in Santa Barbara who spends his time between Baltimore and, uh, Santa Barbara. He's been coming mm-hmm. here for 30 years. Wow. And, uh, he's Stephen L. Miles. Uh, the, oh, I know of him. He's a very well known uh, TV lawyer here. Yes. Very, very well known. He's, which yes. he tells us all the time. He's, he's hilarious. And we call him Steve from Baltimore, affectionately. Well, it's funny. And I was actually thinking about him this, just this afternoon because he used to run these ads on television. His first one. Say, I'm, yeah. And he said, I'm Stephen L. Miles, former assistant state's attorney. And I can rattle that off, you know. Yeah, he, and his, his slogan is, let's talk about it. But anyway, <laughs> that's exactly. I had him on my other show, which was really quite fun. What what yeah, TEDx? A nice guy. What TEDx would you like to visit? Um. Well, you know, honestly, uh, I have been to a bunch, so I feel really fortunate about that. Um, I would like to sometime go to TEDx Sydney. I think that looks like an amazing venue, and it looks like they always do a, a really great job. Yep. Um, so that'd be fun. I, I probably will get to that at some point. Um, and actually, if you're listening to that, Sydney, invite me to come speak. Uh, I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. Remo's, um, Remo's going to be on the show in two weeks and, uh, he's longtime cool. Tedster and it's no, the number Remo, one yeah. that everybody wants to go to. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll pass that you, along. You can pass on a yet another vote. I there mean, you <laughs> once I've been, I guess I'll probably want to hit some other ones, but no, I, I'd love to go to that one, but I've been to. TEDx New York, I've been to TEDx Amsterdam, I've been to, you know, uh, TEDx Istanbul and Vilnius. And so I've been very lucky in that regard. But there's, but yeah, there's definitely ones I still want to get to. So let's finish this up with, you've been super generous with your time. The show's called Hacking the Red Circle, and I'm always looking for a hack that kind of lead off, like, what's that, what's that hack that you feel is just gold in that that thing you would want to tell everybody, tell all the other organizers, don't miss this. Mm, really good question. I should have thought of this more in advance. Um, I, you know, I guess, you know, for me as a host, the thing, and I, and I wasn't always a host. We at the beginning felt like us as organizers shouldn't be on stage really because, you know, a, we had a lot of other stuff to worry about and B, we didn't want to make it be about us in any way we wanted to kind of have it be about the speakers and about the event itself. So we had initially like, you know, professional hosts. Sure. I, I knew a guy sure. from public television who was happy to do that for me. And, um, uh, but then over time they were like, well, you know, you should probably try this, you know, you know, the material really well and all that. So 
over time I became kind of like the primary host of the event. And at first I was really nervous and I, you know, didn't really have good stage presence, but then over time I kind of got more comfortable. And the thing that I found is that your job as a host is to like, just make the audience feel comfortable, make them feel confident. And I think, you know, this comes down to like stage management and direction and whatnot as well. But, you know, like I've been to some events and this is not to ding them because I mean, everybody has challenges that they face and I'm yep. not trying to call yep. somebody out. But, you know, like when things don't start on time, when the lighting isn't right, when, you know, s- things don't happen on stage at the rhythm that they're supposed to happen, I think audiences, they kind of go, geez, you know, what is this amateur hour? You know, mm-hmm. like, why is this, why is this so screwed up, you know? And so I think your job as an organizer and sort of secondarily as a host is just like make sure that stuff runs on time and that everything that's supposed to happen on stage happens on cue and that people feel really comfortable that they have invested wisely both in their time and their money to be there. Mm-hmm. Because I think once you lose that confidence, um, you know, it's kind of game over and it's going to be reflected in your in your rate rankings and whatnot that you get back from the surveys and whatnot afterwards. So, you know, that to me is like, if you use that as your North star for like running the event itself, I love that. Yeah. It, it's something It took me a while to kind of figure out what it was, but that's really, um, the core of it is like, how do you, how do you kind of cradle the, the, the attendee in your hand and make sure that they feel loved and respected yeah, and yeah. that their, their time is, is valuable to you. And I think if you do that, a lot of good things will flow from that. David, I really appreciate this conversation and, and listener, thank you for hanging in there with me. I, I try to do these shows short and it just never happens. There's just too much good <laughs> stuff to talk about. I, I really appreciate it. I hope sometime I get to come out and visit. Do you live stream your event? Yes, we do. It's oh, available good. on our website at tedxminatlantic.com. Okay, perfect. So, um, I can at least, uh, do a shout out there. And uh, best of luck to you, and I hope to run into you in person again uh, real soon. Thank you so much yeah, for joining absolutely. us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mark. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.